Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Very happy to be with you again today and thank you for tuning in with us. An amazing study today again, not an easy one from chapter 8 of the book of Daniel. But please stay with us. If you are able to grab a Bible, please just open the Bible at Daniel chapter 8 and stay with us. If you're driving, be careful on the road and uh, keep listening to this Bible study. We'll have a couple of announcements during this program and important announcements which um, you would like to, to hear. But let's start today and I will again introduce uh, briefly our panel here. And I'll start here from my uh, right. Lija, thank you for joining us. Thank God for being here. Helen, good to have you with us also. Thank you. I'm very excited about these studies. And Ken, good to have you too. Thank you, Nick. Always a pleasure to be here. Will? Good to be here. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to have you around, Will, also, when you can. And Len, it's our facilitator today. Uh, thank you, Len, for preparing this uh, Bible study, and uh, welcome to the program. Thank you for your welcome, and hello, listeners. Well, last week we studied that fascinating chapter about world history, reaching from the time of the Babylonian Empire to the present. Daniel was given a vision of the empire's this time not as a multi-metal man, as presented in chapter 2, but as hybrid animals, beasts or monsters. What Daniel was shown by God in chapter 8 is more to do with the characteristics of those kingdoms. One thing was made abundantly clear, and that was that those earthly kingdoms would not last forever. However, God's kingdom will. This week we examine what happened with the Medo-Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire, and a development within the Roman Empire. It's a fascinating study, and in a way, it involves you. So before we begin, Ken, would you be so kind as to pray for us and the listeners? Heavenly Father, Lord God, what a privilege to be here today and study this incredibly important book of Daniel I think, Lord, of all the books in the Bible, this has to be one of the most important in here, and it's so relevant to our times. We pray, Lord God, for all the people listening to this study. Because it's a, a difficult book, Lord God, we pray that they will stay with us throughout the whole books so that they can get a clear understanding of the importance of this book and what it means for their lives and the rest of the world. We just ask this, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ken. To begin the study today, Will, would you mind reading from the book of Daniel, chapter 8, the first four verses, please? Sure, I'm reading from the King James Version. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared unto me, even unto me, Daniel, after that which appeared unto me at the first. And I saw in a vision... And it came to pass, when I saw, that I was at Shushan, in the palace, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in a vision, and I was by the river of Ulai. Then I lifted up mine eyes, and saw, and behold, there stood before the river a ram, which had two horns, and the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher came up last. I saw the ram pushing westward and northward and southward so that no beasts might stand before him. 
neither was there any that could deliver out of his hand. But he did according to his will and became great. Well, now, would you just perhaps highlight the features of the ram there, Will? Yes, we find that the ram has uh, two large horns, and uh, but one, according to the scriptures, uh, appears longer than the other. This ram is, uh, is formidable. It's almost unstoppable. And it charges in different directions, namely west, north, and south. And it becomes uh, quite a powerful uh, beast. Well, this is some vision to have. Helen, would you read verses 5 and 6 of Daniel chapter 8 and tell us what happened next? Yes, very happy to do that. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, While I was watching, suddenly a male goat appeared from the west, crossing the land so swiftly that he didn't even touch the ground. This goat, which had one very large horn between its eyes. Very interesting. Verse 6 says, headed to, He headed toward the two-horned ram that I had seen standing beside the river, rushing at him in a rage. So can you just summarise that for us? Well, I, I find this very interesting because we used to raise goats many years ago and I, I thought about this and I thought, yeah, they, they have such a rage in them at times. We had a billy goat that would come at you with such force. You know, you said, um, Will, you said that the, the um, ram was unstoppable. But I tell you what, when this billy goat got mad... Nothing would stop him. He'd come through the side of buildings even. And, and it's, yeah, it reminded me of this when I read that. So here we've got a, a goat with prominent frontal horn and he's flying from the west and he charges the ram with such great rage. So mm. that horn would be like what the artists depict a unicorn as It having. would appear to be like that, wouldn't it? Instead of coming out from the side it was from the front well that's true our our um our goat had two horns <laughs> and they were very dangerous yes mm. as long as you're not the butt of a goat's butt anyhow um Lydia, would you read daniel chapter 8 verse 7 and then read what happened to this goat i saw him attack the ram furiously striking the ram and shattering his two horns the ram was powerless to stand against him. The goat knocked him to the ground and trampled on him, and none could rescue the ram from his power. This is very interesting. First you have this unstoppable ram, mm. and then you have this goat which stopped the ram, and it itself was unstoppable. Now in verse 7 there, Nick, would you just read the last couple of words? Yeah, and it says that there was no one that could deliver the ram from his hand. Okay, so the goat came along and flattened the ram, and nobody could help this ram. In other words, it was finished. Now, could you read on, please, Nick, and read Daniel 8, verse 8, and tell us what happened to the goat. All right, therefore the male goat grew very great, but when he became strong, the large horn was broken, and in place of it, four notable ones came up towards the four winds of heaven. This is an interesting vision here, to see this uh, happening, and we'll look later on to, to understand also the 
prophetic implication and the historical also proof that um, this was something very significant. Mm. It's interesting that the horn, that horn which smashed the ram, got broken. They were very powerful, but doesn't mean that lasted forever. That was broken, and in, f- in place of that horn, four notable uh, horns came up. And we'll, uh, I believe we'll, uh, we'll look into that a little bit later on. We're coming to that soon. Well, this is all very fascinating. Uh, Will, what happened to one of the horns? Would you like to read Daniel 8, verse 9? Yes, Daniel 8, verse 9. And out of one of them came forth a little horn, which waxed exceeding great, toward the south and toward the east and toward the pleasant land. So here we have coming from one of the horns, another horn. Now, you listeners wouldn't know, but I'm very interested in cacti and succulents and I have quite a collection of them. And sometimes what happens, you have a a cactus growing, it might be quite tubular, and then suddenly popping out of the side will grow another one. In this case, out of one of those four horns that the goat had after the main horn broke off, another one came up which turned out to be quite special, quite big. So, Helen, how significant was the new horn's growth? Well, we just heard from from Will that it, it grew exceedingly great to start with, but let me read Daniel 8, verse 10 from the New Living Translation. It says... Its power reached to the heavens, where it attacked the heavenly army, throwing some of the heavenly beings and some of the stars to the ground and trampling them. And I find this extremely interesting because not only was it attacking others, it reached to the hosts of the heavens. This is some vision. So yeah, and this this is some some animal, isn't it? So mm. this horn, horn that came not only just got big. It got so big, it appeared, of course, to Daniel in the vision, to reach the heavens. and It appeared to challenge the heavenly host. Cause mm. some devastation yes. up there. Well, Ken, what were the results of the growth of this little horn that became big horn? It's in Daniel 8, verse 11 and 12. Okay, I'm just reading from the King James Version. <clears throat> yea, he magnified himself even to the prince of the host. And by him the daily sacrifice was taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. And a host was given him against the daily sacrifice by reason of transgression, transgression, and it cast down the truth to the ground, and it practiced and prospered. So there's a number of things going on here. So it basically set itself up as a great prince of the host. It took away the daily sacrifice. It undermined the significance of the sanctuary. It took over the host of the saints and took over the daily sacrifice. It prospered greatly, but also treated the Bible truth with disdain. So this is rather interesting how that Daniel could see all this in his vision. Well, now, before we get on to the um, interpretation of this dream, Lydia, would you read Daniel chapter 8? Verses 13 and 14. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to him, How long will it take for the vision to be fulfilled, the vision concerning the daily sacrifice, 
the rebellion that causes desolation and the surrender of the sanctuary and of the host that will be trampled underfoot. He said to me, It will take 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary will be reconsecrated. All right, or another version says the sanctuary will be cleansed. So, listeners, this is fascinating. I don't know if you've ever had a dream like this, but this is absolutely fascinating. And I guess you're just about bursting with curiosity to know what it all means. Does the Bible tell us that? Well, it does. But we're going to come to that later. And just right now, I would like to have a short break, uh, make a, a couple of uh, announcements. As was pointed out uh, today, interpretation of the Bible is very important. And sometime during a program like this, you may not be able to uh, elaborate and uh, bring it to, to understanding all the aspects of these prophecies. But I would like to welcome you particularly listeners who live in Adelaide, South Australia, because we have several prophecy seminars going on simultaneously right now in Adelaide. And we'll love you to be part of some of this and be able to learn more in depth and understand these prophecies. And I have some locations which I'll ask um, uh, my panel today just to share those uh, locations with, with you. And you also can... Ring us, contact us, write an email, whatever is easy for you, and we'll be very happy to get in touch with you and uh, let you know more about this. Well, the first one's held in the CBD of Adelaide, and you'll find that right in the heart of the city at 82 Angus Street. And then if you live more to the southwest, around the Brighton area, there will be another seminar at 10 Amelia Street at Hove, which is right next to Brighton. Then down at uh, Aldinga, corner of Valiant and uh, Quinlivan Road, and then one in Mawson Lakes at 12 to 24 Garden Terrace. Well, listeners, if you want to get your questions answered and you want to look into this thing, it'd be worthwhile chasing up some of these wonderful prophecy seminars. We'll also be looking at uh, Melrose Park at Edward Street and uh, Morford Vale. Pimpala Road. A little bit closer in here we've got Para Vista at 134 Nelson Road and we've also got Prospect at 7 Belleville Street in Prospect. Another location, it's in Smithfield Plains at number 240 Peachy Road and Trinity Gardens at number 198 Portrush Road. Thank you very much, panel, for uh, sharing that. Now, these are uh, held on different times and uh, days during the week. Uh, most of them are um, run during the week, 7 p.m., Wednesday night. Some of them uh, Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon. But for more information, please contact us and we'll uh, let you know. Just very quickly, I will say that uh, in Adelaide, uh, will be 11 o'clock every Saturday. In Brighton will be 7 p.m. Uh, Wednesday night. Aldinga 6 p.m. Thursday night. Mosson Lakes will be every Saturday 2 p.m. Melrose Park 4 p.m. Morfitt Vale will be 7 p.m. again Wednesday. Paravista Saturday 11. Prospect Wednesday 7 p.m. Smithfield Wednesday 7.30 and Trinity Gardens Wednesday 7 p.m. But for more information, please contact us. 
Coming back to our study, Len, you just mentioned that we are going to approach some of the interpretation today. Well, I hope that listeners' um, interest has been aroused enough at this point of time with the ram and the goat and the horns that broke and new ones and then another one coming out of another one. We would like to know the interpretation and I'm sure you want to know what it is. So we'll... Daniel goes on and says in chapter 8, verses 15 to 19, would you just like to read that and perhaps comment on it a little? Yes, I think um, these these visions would be confusing to anybody without it, an interpretation. And Daniel's head was spinning by this time as well. And so it says in verse 15 of Daniel 8, When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it, and behold... There stood before me one having the appearance of a man, and I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Ulai, and it called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came I was frightened. I fell on my face, and he said to me, Understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. But he touched me and made me stand up. And he said, Behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. Okay, now there are a couple of things coming out of here. Would you like to pick up on those, Will? Clearly the visions had to do with... uh, the time of the end, and uh, long past Daniel's time, he couldn't understand the vision, and an angel came to interpret it for him, and uh, that angel would have been none other than the angel Gabriel. All right, well, Helen, Gabriel also was sent to present a message to someone else. Would you like to just tell us about that? Well, I'd like to read about it. In Luke chapter 1 verse 19, it says here, Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. And this, of course, was a prophecy that was given. And it's just an amazing, it's, it's amazing when you go through the Bible and you see how important was it that he was an angel who stood in the very presence of God sent to give a message. Yes. And the message that he presented to Mary, the mother of Christ, was the fact that Christ was coming. That's true. That Mm. she was going to be the one Mm. who was given the privilege of bearing him. Mm. It was a very important message, as you said. And the very fact that the angel Gabriel, I would like to suggest to you that he is probably one of the chief angels in Mm. heaven. So it was a very important message. He was entrusted with this message. And the same in Daniel, as we have have noted, as we've been reading and will read out, that the um, focus of the vision in Daniel was for the time of the end. End of what? The end of the world as we know it. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, now, Ken, in talking about the end, does God have a time when the end of the world will occur. Can you verify that from Scripture? 
Yes, it does, Len. We're going to look at uh, Matthew chapter 24 and verses 36 to 42. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were so, shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, one shall be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for ye know not what are your Lord doth come. So who knows when Jesus is coming again? Well, I think the Bible makes it clear that no man, not even Jesus, knows the actual day is coming, but the Bible makes it extremely clear what the signs will be just before his return. So God actually has a time, and uh, the time information given in Daniel chapter 8 talks about the time of the end and what you said before Helen is quite correct that this will be the time of the end of the world and God does have a time. Well let's go on Lydia would you read Daniel 8 verses 20 through to 22 The two horned ram that you saw represents the kings of Media and Persia the shaggy goat is the king of Greece, and the large horn between his eyes is the first king. So it means here it, the two-horned ram represents Medo-Persia, and uh, the goat represents the Greece. Okay, now this is very interesting. We mustn't bypass this particular point. When did Daniel have this vision? It says right back in the first. The first. Did anybody tell me? Is the reign of Belshazzar. That was part of the Babylonian Empire. Mm. Was there any evidence that a powerful uh, Medo-Persian Empire was around at this particular time? No. No, there wasn't anything there, Len, because the, the Babylonians were the greatest power in the world at that time. Yes. Was there any evidence that the Greeks were going to develop into a powerful empire? I think God gave Daniel this uh, dream, vision, let's say, just about in Belshazzar's time, just before he was conquered by the Medo-Persia. I was just going to mention at this time that, um, you see, in the book of Daniel, we're going from chapter to chapter, for, for example, chapter 2 to chapter 7 and 8, today looking into these parallels of all these empires who were exercising their uh, power at the time, but also those ones who are about to come in the picture. And what's interesting here that God is giving Daniel, the prophet, and uh, in the Bible, some other prophets giving precise information about his plan that we may understand when comes across some other issues in the Bible that God is in control, as Lydia mentioned, is sovereign, of everything what happened under the sun. One thing I would like to mention right now before we move a little bit further. We are talking today mainly about the goat and the ram, which represented a couple of powerful empires uh, in history. 
But before we give interpretation also about this, I like to say something very significant today. These two animals represented something more than what we learned before about the uh, other powerful animals like the bear, the lion, and the beast. Because these two animals were represented in the tabernacle in during Israel time in wilderness and afterwards. Why it's significant about this? Because the ram, for example, if you look in Leviticus and Numbers, and for example, if you look in Leviticus uh, chapter 9 and chapter 10, it's talking about here about the goat, how the goat represented the sins of Israelites. And here we are dealing now with two powers represented. And we'll see what is the implication of that, that God is using these animals as symbols to learn further on the development of these nations and also the little horn which came out of some of those horns. I want to just uh, clarify that before we go further because as I invited uh, you listeners to come of the, uh, to some of these programs later on, all around Australia, if you inquire about more information about Bible prophecy, please just Google any of the Seventh-day Adventist Church and I believe everyone will be very happy to uh, support and give some more information in regard to this. Uh, coming back to what you were saying before, Len, um, you know, did, did anybody see that these things were going to happen? I think if we look back at Nebuchadnezzar in the great image of Daniel 2 and, and we see that he made it all of gold, I guess that was representative, really, in his mind, that it's it's impossible that Babylon was going to fall. And I guess uh, coming down the line, it would have been very hard for them to take this vision on board from where they were sitting. I sometimes wonder, with Daniel's history of interpreting, or God giving him the interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, if when he saw this vision and the angel Gabriel was explaining it to him have he said aha so that's it Ledger? I would like to also remind that these symbols that are chosen here by God of a ram and goat are used in the connection with the day of atonement sanctuary ritual and the rams and goats were used as a sacrificial offerings in the sanctuary services all right and, and just on that one, while Lydia mentioned, because I was talking a bit earlier, which mm. probably seems like to be a bit out of context. But no, it's very much in context. But the reason mm. I mentioned that, because we are talking today from contamination to purification. All this illustration in the Bible has a very important um, message to, to send uh, to every Bible mm. student to learn, because we are not here just to learn the history today. We are here to learn about our salvation and how uh, can we understand the message of the Bible through prophecy. I read a, a quote and I wanted to share it with you and it's on that very thing, Nick, that Daniel 2 focused on Christ as our king, Daniel 7 focused on Christ as our judge, and Daniel 8 and 9 focuses on Christ as our high priest who died for our sins and is living again for our salvation. And that all comes right through the sanctuary service. Mm. So mm. the further you go, the more complete the picture is. Absolutely. In verse 22, it speaks about the four horns that came up 
after the broken horn of the goat, well, the horn broke at least, I should say, what does it say there that the four horns represent? Um, this is verse 22. If you take a look at the previous verse at uh, 21, it actually identifies that the rough goat is the king of Greece. And uh, the four horns coming up out of the kingdom of Greece could be nothing else than the, the, the vision of the kingdom after Alexander the Great. And uh, the division of the kingdom happened under his four generals, Lysimachus, Cassander, and Ptolemy, and Seleucus. Okay, so the kingdom was actually broken up when Alexander the Great died, and various parts were controlled by these army generals, which Will has just named. None of them, though, were as great as the first. Oh, no. So what does the naming of these kingdoms, and we have to refer back to earlier, the kingdom of Medo-Persia and Greece, well before the time, tell you here, Will? Well, verse 20 actually mentions that, uh, gives the interpretation in advance that uh, these will be the kings of Media and Persia. Now, this is several years before the um, people knew much about Media and Persia. It was still, uh, when the vision was given, it was uh, in the strength of uh, Babylon. And so, this to me tells me that the Lord knows the future and he can, uh, he can see the rising and the falling of kingdoms many, many decades in advance. Leon, I'd just like to add to that that not, not only does the Lord see the future and know the future, but he already shares it with all his servants, Christians in the world. It is there for us to see plainly what has been, what is now, and what is coming. Yeah, this was a prophecy that convicted me that God is sovereign. And God knows all and God can be trusted because when I first heard this prophecy on, and even went to the history books and confirmed it was exact, it just literally blew my mind. And probably a question just raised up here, why to bother about those things? Does God want us to know all these details? It's not enough just to believe in God and love God with all your heart and uh, be saved. Why it's important? Why uh, can you just mention that God wants us to know some of these details? Well, I think Helen has just answered that in a way because I guess like myself, uh, I'm a very practical person and I think Helen may be the same. So people who just don't believe, they need some sort of proof and not just proof of words but actual uh, recorded history and all these things are recorded in history and it's very very easy to check them out and then you have to ask yourself well if the Bible's right about so many of these other things is it not possible that it's going to be right about the other things in the future? I think God in his loving care towards us he wants us to know about everything in detail. I think merely putting the pieces of a puzzle together, a prophetic puzzle uh, while it is a challenge in itself, surely when the puzzle is finished, we should see a picture, and that picture would tell us about our future. And I think it's that that picture that presents the uh, the assurance that we can trust God and that He is intimately involved in my life as well. And uh, what I was thinking when I raised up that question is that how amazing is that God wants us to be co-workers, if you like, and being able to 
to reveal God's plan of salvation to other people and to do that properly, is that not important to understand God's plan? Even in those, uh, let's say, secret or uh, not so easy to understand things? And this is the thing. We are called to be messengers for God. And Jesus said, I will send you to the end of the world to teach all the people everything what I have commanded you. And these things were in the Bible. That's what I believe. If you are a child of God, a servant of Jesus Christ, you should know these things to be able to share with other people who don't know the things. I find it absolutely fascinating that we we don't interpret this ourselves. The Bible is actually interpreting for us. And to me, that's absolutely fascinating. As Will said, it mentioned, you know, the media Persia. It mentioned the shaggy male goat represented the king of Greece. You know, I mean, there's, there is absolutely no way you can misunderstand it. It's just amazing. I think that's a really, really important point that you've made. And that is that we are not interpreting this. This is actual history that interprets it for us. Amongst my, my family members are two university professors. Both of them were just gobsmacked by this book of Daniel, the vision of chapter 2, the vision of chapter 7, and now the vision of chapter 8. They said to themselves, the Bible must be a book that we should take notice of. It's true. How could just mortal man be able to predict way into the future that these empires would come into power? Both of those men gave their hearts to the Lord. These were university professors. So it impressed them, and I hope it impresses you too, listeners. This book that we're studying is not just fiction. It's the Word of God, and he's given up for our understanding. And I think as we look at these things we have been looking at and are looking at today, it gives me confidence that I can believe and trust this book. And as Ken said before, if this is true, well, it's reasonable to expect everything else will be true. Well, we have to backtrack a little to the horn that grew out of one of the four that grew up to the starry host. If you remember, a horn represents a power or a powerful entity arising from another entity. Ken, I know you've got something you'd love to share here. Yes, I just want to uh, share something about this. I'd also like to add, actually, that this information that we're about to just read, this isn't just from present day. This was also uh, was revealed by the early reformers of the churches, so it's been known for a long, long time. This little horn represents Rome in both its phases, pagan and papal. Um, Daniel saw Rome first in its pagan, imperial phase, warring against the Jewish people and the early Christians, and then in its papal phase, continuing down to our own day and into the future. All right, well, just to clarify things a little bit, pagan uh, refers to, if you like, without God. In other words, the political Rome and papal Rome refers to the religious Rome. Now, I don't know if you know, but the Roman Empire became came from the Roman Empire and became the what the his, historians call the Holy Roman Empire. So there was a religious aspect to it. Well, Lydia, I know you've got something you would like to share with the listeners today. Would you care to 
just tell us what you have there. According to the biblical text, the little horn first undertook a horizontal movement and grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. These three directions correspond to the three major areas that fell under the dominion of pagan Rome. All right. Well, now, Will, would you like to go on with the interpretation, and it's from Daniel chapter 8, verses 23 to 25, about this little horn. And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. His power shall be mighty, but not by his own power, and he shall destroy wonderfully, and shall prosper and practice, and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. And through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand, and he shall magnify himself in his heart, and by peace shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. Okay, so could you just um, summarize some of the features of this particular power? This power um, arising from the, the from pagan Rome becomes a stern-faced ruler. He becomes a master of intrigue. He becomes very strong but has outside help. He causes astounding devastation. He succeeds in all that he does. He destroys the mighty men, the Bible says. And he destroys the holy people of God. He encourages deceit. He uh, considers himself superior and destroys many in the times of peace. But the worst is that he opposes the prince of princes, that is Christ himself, and um, he will be destroyed supernaturally. Um, does he sound like a good neighbor that you'd like to have? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> some, some of us may have neighbors like that. <laughs> some pretty horrible things there. Mm. You wouldn't like to be described as that, would you? No causing astounding devastation, destroys the mighty men, destroys the holy people, Mm. encourages deceit, destroys many even in times of peace, opposes Christ, but there's an end to him or it. Um, We call this personification, where something which doesn't, is not a person, you can ascribe things to it. So this power is described as a person. One yeah. of the other Bibles, by the way, translations, uh, says that he is a master of stratagem. The New English Bible says, referring to pagan and Christian Rome as masters of international and uh, religious diplomacy. That could fit only one power. Can I just add to Will's before you, Nick, if you don't mind? My translation here, the New Living Translation, actually puts it as a fierce king, a master of intrigue, which will rise mm. to power. I thought that was an interesting way of putting it, too. Yeah, so and I was going to just a um, couple of things to, to say about the, this little horn, because we learned in the previous chapters about the little horn again and uh, some of the representations. Interestingly enough here, that is depicted first, even in the chronology of the um, 
empires, the political power as a little horn, and that referred to the pagan Rome, but it's also referred to the little horn from the mighty beast, which Daniel uh, saw earlier, which referred to the papal uh, authority and power. And both these authorities, if you like, they were persecuting God's people, they were exercising their domination, and just a matter of information, Babylonians were captured by the Medo-Persians almost with no bloodshed. The Medo-Persian, even though they, uh, they were powerful, they were, you know, overcome by the Greeks, you know, but again, was not mentioned that big, you know, devastating bloodshed. And even though the, the Greeks were so powerful, they conquered the whole world, but Alexander the Great, because he learned some of the prophecy of the Bible, he didn't enter in Jerusalem and to destroy Jerusalem, which for that time was known where God was exercising his power through his people and Jerusalem was known all over the world about the spiritual uh, side, if you like. And how amazing is that through this prophecy we can depict these elements to, to see if you are digging down deep to really learn about the application of these uh, elements and, and uh, the prophetic language, you'll grow so much in, in understanding and praising God for His uh, mercy and uh, wisdom. I was just thinking while you were talking, Nick, we, we read the term little horn and you used it quite a bit. You know, when you think of the, the word little, it can almost make in our minds, oh, well, it's nothing to be feared. You know, it's only a little horn after mm. all. I think this is also uh, in our minds. That can be a deception because this little horn is going to um, be very, very strong and it's going to cause so much devastation. It may be little a- as that word, but it's going to be exceedingly great. The Bible clearly identifies this little horn as the Roman Catholic Church but we're talking about the rulers and leaders of the church. We're not talking about the everyday people that are in it. Okay, now, Helen, I'm perfectly aware that some people think this vision refers to only past time. Why is that not correct? Could you read Daniel 8.26 for us? Yes, I'm happy to do that. 8.26 says, This vision about the 2,300 evenings and mornings is true, but none of these things will happen for a long time, so keep this vision a secret. I actually find it very interesting when I look at, at this to think people say, oh, but that's all done with, and yet here's Daniel saying, no, it's going to happen. And when we actually see, when we study next week, we will see how important it is to, to look at it from that point of view, but also we need to be careful not to say well it's now far in the future because we've just talked about it being for the time of the end yeah. and I believe that we're, that we're there now the time of the end is according to the signs given by Jesus yeah the vision was to be sealed right upon us mm. Mm. it was well, to now, be sealed and kept and applied for the time of the end Daniel 8.27 that's the last verse in this particular chapter Ken would you read that and then perhaps you could say What were some of the things that you reckon that Daniel was so upset about? Okay, uh, reading King James Version. And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick certain days, 
Afterwards I rose up and did the king's business, and I was astonished at the vision, but none understood it. So here we have Daniel, who over the years has received many, many visions from God and some amazing things, but this particular one has got him absolutely horrified, and he's feeling sick. And I think part of the reason, or obviously one of the main things I believe that, he saw the destruction of God's people foretold, and of course that you know, was absolutely uh, devastating for him. He just could not believe that this was going to happen. And uh, not only that, but he saw this other great power was going to be incredibly prosperous, and also that it would be against the Prince of Princes, which of course is Christ. And I'm sure he wondered, how could anybody think they're going to stand up to Jesus Christ? He would have thought that Daniel, in just his normal thoughts, without being inspired by God, thought, well, the people of God are going to continue to prosper. But here he sees in this vision that somebody who stands against truth, somebody who stands against God, is prospering instead of God's people, and God's people are being killed. That must have really rocked him. So it says in the verse that Daniel was appalled by the vision and it was beyond his understanding and he was so exhausted and lay ill for several days. So when human beings, as us, we are so weak and frail and fragile, when we get in contact with heavenly beings, with uh, the angel Gabriel being in his presence, giving him so many visions and instructions and so on he was appalled and he felt ill because he was effectively uh, is too much for us as human beings so because of that he lay ill and he was yes but that's what Lijo is just saying here we may read in the bible and sometimes we may come to this uh, conclusion it's too much for us what was this one talking about what these things what's it what's interesting is that the angel Gabriel was told, go, interpret that for Daniel. What was needed for Daniel to know for that time, God made, made it clear. Now, there was a section there which says, now the other part of this vision doesn't concern you and your time. Still, it. it's for a later time, for mm. the time of the end. Mm. You know how specific God is talking here and through the angels? And that's what even with us here... In our walk with God, we may come to a stage where we may not understand some things, but if we are pursuing the thing, God will be clear to us what's his will. Well, if we refer back to verse 11, part of that talks about how the sanctuary has been put down and the daily service is corrupted. How's how's that worked out in practice, Ledger? Uh, I would like to read for, um, the verse 11. So Daniel chapter 8, verse 11. In the uh, New International Version, is it set itself up to be a, as great as the prince of the host. It took away the daily sacrifice from him, and the place of his sanctuary was brought low. A little bit of information, the daily sacrifice is a reminder of what happened in the, the earthly sanctuary to designate the various and continual aspects of the ritual services, including services and intercession. So it is through these services that sinners are forgiven and sins are dealt with in the tabernacle. Here uh, we observe that uh, 
how the sanctuary and the daily service has been corrupted. So the Roman Catholic Church and priesthood claim that they have the sole rights to forgive sins. The Pope claims to be God on earth and has the right or the license to change things or interfere with what God put in place. Also, I would like to rem remind that the papacy prohibited the translation of the Bible into the language of the people, put the interpretation of the Bible under the authority of the church and placed tradition alongside the Bible in theory, but in practice, tradition is placed above the Bible as the supreme rule of faith. Yes, and uh, <clears throat> amongst some of the Roman Catholics I know, and um, a relative, they regard the traditions, which the church calls the majestica, mm. of greater importance than the Bible. And I'd just like to mention right now here that our dear friends from the Catholic Church, you know, many of them are wakening up and see what's going on in um, in the system, if you like. Because here we are not talking about anybody being part of this church. We are talking about the influence of the uh, institution, if you like. And, uh, yeah, very, very welcome to all of those which I personally know that you are studying the Bible and giving uh, lots of attention to, to its interpretation. I'd just like to add to that that uh, regarding the Catholic friends, and my best friend is actually Catholic. We have been good friends for 30 years, and I have shared this thing with them. But if you're a Catholic person and you attend church, which is good, I believe that you should actually think deeply about these things and actually look into the Bible yourself. Don't rely on other people telling you the facts. Look into these things yourself in your own Bible and it should help you make it clearer. Yes, of course, for some people who are not used to reading their Bibles, studying their Bibles, it can be a bit puzzling. But uh, what you say is really correct, Ken, because if you don't check the source book, which is the Bible, how will you know what you're hearing and even doing is right? And I think this is what really rocked Daniel when he saw this power taking over from the influence of God in the world. Well now, Helen, going back to verse 14, which is prior to the interpretation, it mentions a time period of 2,300 days. Would you like to tell us about that and what it means about the sanctuary being cleansed? Yeah, um, the verse actually says, and he said to me, for 2,300 days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. I'd like to point out one thing. The first part in, in Daniel is symbolic, as we've seen all the beasts and what have you. And, I, and, of course, the last part was interpretation. I believe this verse also is written in symbolic language, 2,300 days, and when it's applied to its actual um, interpretation, we believe that that, uh, Ezekiel says, a day for a year. And God also showed that with the Israelites in the wilderness, you know, 40 days, and it would be 40 years. So symbolically, it's here, but when we look at it um, in through the interpretation, it's quite clear what it's referring to. And the same when it says sanctuary will be cleansed, that's symbolic language as well. But it's referring back to the sanctuary in the wilderness. 
if you study the sanctuary in the wilderness, you will notice how there was a lot of blood involved um, because without blood, you know, there is no, no um, forgiveness of sins. And so what happened was they would, they would slay the animal and the blood would be taken and sprinkled on the altar. And then once a year at the Day of Atonement, the high priest would come and he would literally transfer that to the scapegoat. Are you with me? Just put the hand on the head of the scapegoat and then it would be sent out to the wilderness. Well, if you look at it from the point of view of the sanctuary is all about Jesus. He was sacrificed for us and he has taken all of our sins with him. You know, all those sins were on him and he went back to the heavenly sanctuary. So it's it's quite interesting that even though this is symbolic talking about the earthly sanctuary, we would then say, well, why does a heavenly sanctuary need to be cleansed? Because Jesus took all our sins and that needs to be cleansed completely. Sin be done away with completely. I hope that makes sense. Yes, we're going to deal with this in yes. more detail mm. in the next study when we are studying chapter 9. Mm. I'd, li- I'd like to do a comparison if I may. I love parallels. And when I look at par- the parallels between Daniel 2, 7 and 8, it's quite remarkable really because not only are the nations depicted in parallel, there's a judgment scene in Daniel 7 which, which comes in. So Daniel 2 and 7 talk about Babylon, not in Daniel 8 because Babylon was coming through. In Daniel 2 and 7 and 8, Media Persia, 2, 7 and 8, Greece, 2, 7, 8, Pagan Rome, 2, 7, 8, Papal Rome. Then it goes on in Daniel 7 to the judgment in heaven, which links up in Daniel 8 of the cleansing of the sanctuary, then the second coming. I believe this is a most astounding prophecy, and it's repeated three times, which tells me it's very important. Well, this is where Daniel's uh, prophecy brings us to our day. Of course, we are now living in the time of the end. We're living in the time when this, uh, when the papacy exerts a lot of influence in the world. We all recognize that. We must remember that uh, <clears throat> this power or this church has changed many of God's requirements, and we can list many, and has claimed the authority to do so as a church decision only. And as anybody opposing that uh, would, have been, uh, would have been killed, especially in the Dark Ages, those who have not accepted uh, the church as God's authority. And what is good news to me, Colonel, about this is that uh, this unscrupulous power, even though it's in charge today, it seems, of uh, spiritual things, it will ultimately be taken away by God himself. What a remarkable prophecy. Big things have happened in the past, happening right now, and will happen that will impinge on true Christians. But there is hope that God will end all the evil and oppression there exists in the world today because of that little horn power. God will make all things new. And I hope you, listeners like us, want to be part of God's everlasting kingdom where joy and peace will be forever. And Will, would you close for us today? We're thankful, loving Father, that we have the assurance over and over in the scriptures that to the saints of the Most High will be given the kingdom one day. Thank you, Lord, for truth as it has permeated history. We thank you also, Lord, that you call us to be witnesses for you. We pray that you will bless families and um, every, every person listening to this broadcast. We pray that you will help 
us to seek truth above anything else. In the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you very much, panel, for uh, all your contribution to this uh, Bible study. I'd like to just mention that uh, we are not particularly targeting any uh, groups or churches or uh, uh, people. Uh, we are targeting those people who are uh, taking the role of God or replacing, if you like, the role of God on earth. And if anyone fall into that category is uh, about to be, you know, uh, charged for for that, to, to say so. I'll just before I close now, I'd like to mention again uh, some of the locations where uh, you listeners, if you're living in South Australia, you can uh, participate to some of these uh, uh, prophetic seminars which are uh, uh, underway uh, right now. And I will mention in uh, Adelaide, in CBD, 82 Anga Street, every Saturday morning from uh, 11 o'clock. Uh, down a little bit further south, Brighton, uh, every Wednesday from 7 p.m. And that's on Amelia Street in Hove, number 10. A little bit more further south, Waldinga, valiant corner with uh, Queen Leven Road. I hope I pronounced it correct. That's uh, every Thursday from 6 p.m. And also down south in Morfed Vale, 130 Pimpala Road every Wednesday, 7 p.m. Melrose Park, 123 Edward Street every Saturday, 4 p.m. Mawson Lakes, every Saturday afternoon at Denison Center, which is on uh, Garden Terrace, number 12 to 24. Paravista, 134 Nelson Road. And that's every Saturday from 11 o'clock. Prospect, Wednesday, 7 p.m. That's on 7 Belleville Street. Smithfield Plains up north every Wednesday from uh, 7.30 p.m. And Trinity Gardens every Wednesday, 7 p.m. 198 Portrush Road. Thank you very much for being with us today. May God bless you and keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus.